Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 63. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm uh, Malcolm the Monkey Bomb. <laughs> I, I'm JT White, still in chimp mode. And our guest, calling all the way from over the hill in glorious Los Angeles, California proper, is a, a writer, a, uh, a an, an editor, and my dear friend, it's uh, Roger Carno. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, thanks for coming by. Now, the double feature that Roger selected is uh, Clifford, 1994, by Paul Flaherty, with uh, Charles Grodin and Martin Short, and uh, Monkey Bone, the Henry Selleck film from 2001, starring everybody's favorite movie star, <laughs> Brendan Fraser. Now, Roger, why did you put these two films together and ask us to do a podcast about them? Um, yeah, no, I did ask you guys to do a podcast where this is the format, and uh, and finally I've been able to come on, so this is really nice. Finally, full circle. Um, no, Monkey Bone is a movie I watched in, when it, in theaters. I was in first grade. And I forgot about it. And then, you know, it started to come back to me, like, as if it was, like, a fever dream I had had as a kid. And then all of a sudden I got, like, a, you know, just, like, every thought was monkey bone, monkey bone, monkey bone, right? It's monkey bone this, monkey bone that. Middle of the uh, night, yeah. you text me monkey bone swag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, uh, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, I think, yeah, no, I was it was how to... do I get monkey bone swag. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh right, I am looking for monkey bone merch. Um, so if anyone on, yeah, if any listener knows how to get any monkey bone merch, please DM me. And then for the pairing, I was just looking for something fun. Uh, recently watched Clifford and was just blown away. And and uh, when, when, uh, we're talking about Clifford. We're not talking about a big red dog. Oh no, right? no, no. no. <laughs> talking about a small red <laughs> devil child. Uh, so Clifford is the uh, the first film, and uh, it, it is kind of, you know we planned on doing a sequel to our Problem Child episode uh, that we did so long ago on the Patreon this week, and we swapped that out for an objectively better idea on the Patreon this week. We talked about Oliver Stone's talk radio, and we did a little talk radio of our own. But I think uh, Clifford is kind of just like the galaxy brain version of Problem Child. You know, it, it's like that film, but instead of a child, you have Martin Short, a grown man, playing a 10-year-old. You have Charles Grodin uh, in what you would assume would be the straight man role, but he is fully insane within 25 minutes or so. Uh, <laughs> you have God tier. Uh, you know, people filling out the slots like Dabney Coleman <laughs> and uh, Mary Steenburgen and uh, Richard Kind, of course. Clifford is a boy who wants nothing more than to go to Dinosaur World, a, uh, a theme park based on dinosaurs. He plays with his little dinosaur named Stefan, and he is on a plane on the way to Hawaii uh, with his family, his father, Richard Kind, his mother, some woman who's drunk on a plane. And he forces them to emergency land the plane in Los Angeles, uh, the captain having his own personal Sully moment. And uh, upon landing, uh, they decide to dump the kid off 
with his uncle Martin, played by Charles Grodin. And we see a scene right before that where he's arguing with his girlfriend, Mary Steenburgen, about how much he loves kids. And, you know, uh, you, you got to see him with one of his own. And that's when, or his nephew. Uh, and that's when you get the, the classic line, uh, I want to say Mason. <laughs> <laughs> no, Grodin's so good with, like, just those small lines, just kind of like how dismissive he seems to be of everything just in his life. And, uh, like another one, like where's where's kids gonna sleep in this one bedroom house? Because that's a problem him and his girlfriend Mary Steenberg Bergen have early. And uh, you know, you ever heard of a sofa bed? <laughs> like it, it is, it is just like he's just a clueless, self-centered guy. And it's perfect that Clifford comes in and kind of is the the penance, the penance, the punishment for him for just for being a just a careless doofus. But uh, yeah, he grows hilarious in that role. I'm talking about this pad with one bedroom where's the kid supposed to sleep oh honey have you ever heard the word sofa bed have you ever heard the word stupid stupid we say stupid Stupid. are you saying this house couldn't work for kids oh no it's perfect where are the kids honey oh they're just out back playing on the cliff i, I can't believe what i'm hearing sarah i i, I love kids oh you don't i saw you at the daycare today oh no 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 you're talking about other people's children you should see me with a kid i know you know my own flesh and blood my nephew you never mentioned you had a nephew i love my nephew what's his name i want to say mason uh clifford little clifford is he, is he self-centered though because he is trying to make a metro system for Los Angeles, <laughs> which is my favorite element of the movie. I'm, I love public transit. Uh, this is is made, you know, it was shot in 1990, and the red line opened in 1993. So this does predate like actual, you know, it links up pretty closely with actual like public transit coming into Los Angeles City. It is kind of funny that this predicted it because it was shot in 1990 and shelved and then the red line was opened and then the film was released in 1994. No one gave it credit for its uh, foresight, you know? (laughs) He's the reason why LA public transit is so terrible. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like, you know, you're giving him credit for LA public transit. That's maybe not something you want to have on your record right there. (laughs) Well, what, what I love about this is like, our transit, like, I actually do like our, our metro system, like, our trains and stuff, um, and then our buses are bad, and just, it's, like, not expansive enough, the, the trains, and it's, like, yeah, I, it, you could blame, if you want to, you could blame Clifford for L.A., <laughs> like, the boy Clifford for not having, not uh, allowing whatever the Verdugo Burbank stop that he's trying to make in the movie. Yeah. I also love watching Charles Grodin design a bus route on like a 1990 computer with this like fat CRT monitor with just like blocks of text, kind of (laughs) very primitive uh, software. But anyway, so uh, Clifford shows up and uh, it's a perfect opportunity for uncle Martin to show that he is the family man that his girlfriend desires. But, uh, Clifford, he he's got a one-track mind, and that mind is uh, that that track rather is Dinosaur World. And when uh, Charles Grodin uh, lies to him and promises a young boy to fulfill his destiny, uh, reach the promised land, Dinosaur World, which Charles Grodin happens to have designed uh, one of the <laughs> one of the roller coasters on. Which that's another thing, damning of the system. You know, it's like they got the guys building dinosaur rides, building our trains too. Uh, but anyway, 
Uh, so yeah, basically the film is just them fighting. It's like Clifford playing pranks on him, uh, Charles Grodin going more and more crazy, and Mary Steenburgen only seeing the Grodin going crazy part of it while Clifford pulls the strings. And it's one of the funniest performances of all time from Martin Short. I feel like anything he does in this movie makes me laugh. And then once he's in the same frame as uh, Charles Grodin, it's just, I don't know, lightning in a bottle comedy. It's like the, this kind of thing doesn't really exist that much in the cinema. There's very few films that feel like Clifford when Clifford's at its like hot house best, you know? Yeah, I feel like Clifford really taps into like a, a, a child hating cynicism <laughs> that it's like there is no movie that just like advocates more for just not having kids than Clifford. But I mean, it also I feel like it gets this very funny like juxtaposition of like, I mean, obviously, like Clifford's a little shit and like throughout the whole movie, you want him to get his ultimate comeuppance. Um, but it's like a, a, a really funny juxtaposition of like the bitterness and cynicism of like adulthood with just like Clifford's single minded childhood optimism of seeing Larry the Scary Rex. Uh, yeah, and oh, we didn't mention though the the framing device of this film uh, features Clifford uh, in the future in 2050 at uh, what is it called Wayward Boysville. Yeah, uh, he's a priest there who <laughs> gives counsel to other young troubled children. <laughs> no, I mean specifically I feel like, uh, a boy named Roger. Oh yeah, I know, and uh, you know it, it looks like my friend Roger. <laughs> That's it does look it. a lot like I did as a kid. And, you know, it kind of, like, the framing device, it makes you, it puts you in the position of, like, uh, maybe, you know, the audience surrogate is this kid, Roger, and it's like, yeah, it's like, I you know, I could kind of, like, vibe with that. <laughs> I can get on board with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, and, I, no, it, it, it is, like, kind of interesting, like, who is the, I mean, tr I think Charles Grodin is, like, the protagonist of this movie. I kind of am fascinated by, like, um the perspective shifting a little bit. I yeah. mean, you know, it's not major, but uh, it, the per it seems like the protagonist is whoever is in the room with Clifford. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like uh, in the, the conceit of a horror movie where it's like the monster is the one on the box art, you know, but th that's not the main character. The main character is like one of the teenagers who lives till the end, pretty much, mm -hmm. in terms of the way that the, the screenplay is structured, you know. Uh, but Clifford, make no bones about it, is the main character. I mean, he is also leading the, uh, the framing device as well. But yeah, in those scenes, it does feel more like it's Charles Grodin's world where this wrench named Clifford is thrown into it uh, and just so many great things. I don't know. So when he's the priest, also he lassoes a kid, uh, which is one of the funnier parts of that. Definitely the best joke in the framing device is him lassoing the kid. Mm -hmm. I like the joke too about the IQ, them uh, beefing over IQ points. Oh yeah, that's very funny. Yeah. yeah, I like I like the, the framing device. Yeah, telling this kid this, you know, bad little kid who's, you know, analogous to Clifford telling him just all the mischief that Clifford used to get up to. And, yeah. like, you know, it's like, you'll never be as great as me, so you might as well give up. And, and it, I, I feel like I love I love this movie because it is like it, it doesn't really have the problem child aspect where it's like it's it's kind of it's not damning. Clifford's behavior and you know at the same time letting you revel it it's revel in it you're just reveling in it and yeah, exactly and and that's what really makes it great and like uh, short really sells this performance just with his you know just all the different faces he makes and just how unordinary he looks it's definitely a better approach than maybe like little man where in, in, like little man it just kind of seems like kind of weird and cgi'd out but um i don't know maybe it's time for us to reclaim <laughs> little man yeah yeah i mean i'm i'm not i'm not above it 
Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I, I feel like this movie is just so freewheeling and kind of just has like, you know, that Clifford energy to it where it's just going to go wherever Clifford goes. And it kind of reminds me of like Freddy Got Fingered mm-hmm. in a sense just because of its, uh, you know, its, its free bird spirit. Yeah. I mean, it. also both of these are very singular comedic performances. Yeah. Tom Green in that and Martin Short in this because he doesn't really stick to one lane of getting jokes. Like he kind of mm-hmm. has a bag full of tricks. He has his like Bugs Bunny, like sneaky maneuvers where he outsmarts <laughs> people. He also just says the wrong thing at the wrong time, like a dumbass, you know? Mm-hmm. And he also like uh, takes advantage of children. <laughs> like the, I mean, obviously Clifford himself is a child, but it's so clear how much uh, he's taking advantage of the kid whose family is going to dino world. <laughs> that amazing reveal when Grodin goes into the truck stop bathroom and you see this little kid wearing Clifford's suit counting money. <laughs> and like, I mean, Clifford's suit in general, I mean, so much of what I really dig about the movie is like it has that cartoony, mm-hmm. like goofy quality that it really embraces, like especially like as the set pieces get more and more heightened. But like Clifford's like ensemble in general is just like like a fifties dandy <laughs> little boy. <laughs> like he's in like the classic sweater yeah. vest with like shorts I and know. a tie. It's like no fucking child in nineteen ninety four is dressed I love like how that. He shows up and it looks like it's like a cartoon character where he has his one uniform, you know, the suit with the shorts. Uh but then they go to the anniversary party for Mary Steen Virgin's family and he changes into that red suit, that bright red <laughs> suit bringing out the devil in him. Uh, as he spikes Grodin's drink with hot sauce and changes out his chapstick for lipstick. And uh, I think he does one other thing. Uh, I don't know. But the, that scene is great. And Well, that's where the bomb reveal finally happens and Grodin gets arrested. One of the great, you know, uh, pranks in this movie, of course, the... The classic, you know, moment when you're uh, uh, recording someone's conversation with you so you can stitch it into a bomb threat later. <laughs> I mean, that's what you've been just building up to through an entire project with this yeah. podcast is you're going to stitch together a terror <laughs> terrorist manifesto that Malcolm and I have essentially spoken out loud. I don't think you'd have to do too much editing to, to be fair. Yeah, There's like three or four episodes where it's just like, yeah, just play those. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh no but you you speaking about how like uh it is a very singular comedic performance and i, I think that is what's great about it it kind of just seems like um short is kind of just running on instinct so to speak and all those instincts just feel correct and i i feel like yeah this is something that i feel is like missing because like you do have like your uh your pete davidson judd apatow kind of project but that seems so much more even though those are supposedly you know improv heavy they seem so much more controlled than something like this where you'd have to imagine there had to be some improv involved yeah with the filming process but it just it feels uh so much more free i feel like i've said that with each every time i've spoke about it but it just it has uh, a sense of childlike freedom that uh that um you know clifford exploits himself well i mean even groden in like stepping into insanity is kind of getting into that free yeah. area just speaking to a child in a way no one ever could True, like yeah. just yeah. screaming at him to act like a human boy <laughs> like yeah. that shit is so fucking funny and then it's just like it's just added on top of like a short's reaction where his eyes are just like twitching while he's smiling and just like <laughs> so inhuman but if you even look at me funny if you do one thing that I find weird, which is, you know, like your middle name, see, you're doing it right now. Can you just act like a human boy for one minute here? Look at me like a person. 
You can't do it for more than a few seconds. Look at me like a human boy. <laughs> yeah, and how kind of like creepy he is. Yeah, as, yeah, I think that's a good point. As the movie kind of goes along, you know, Grodin gets to get in on the fun too, like him dunking uh, Clifford's face in a cereal bowl is oh, like yeah. hilarious. And I just love how, just thinking about like the special effects of it, how they really make you see the milk all over his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Cl- uh, Clifford's face when he uh, appears back from the cereal bowl is uh, white as a ghost and very funny. Another food-related gag I like early on is when uh, Clifford just like smacks a donut onto Charles Grodin's <laughs> shirt like the first night he's spending the night there and they just kind of slowly peel it off and stare at each other in silence and that feels more like it's from like a Jerry Lewis movie, True. you know, it's a, I don't know, there, there's such a variety to all the different ways that this movie uh, gets laughs out of me. The gas station, uh, when I was rewatching it, the gas station like caught me as super weird that they didn't have chocolate. He's like, what do you mean you don't have chocolate? And the guy's like, everybody <laughs> wants chocolate, we're all out of chocolate. things that are wrong with this world uh, are so like clearly an indication that this is Clifford's world, you know? <laughs> like this is a world where the gas station doesn't have chocolate and a, uh, a daycare worker has the same boss as the guy who's building the new LA transit <laughs> yeah. system. Yeah, I never really uh, like figured that out until <laughs> now, but yeah, that doesn't make sense at all but uh but it's great it is also it's it just is, a way to get them in the same office building you know I, I do like how everyone's horny for mary steenbergen in this yeah. movie too with the inclusion of the funny kind of like desperate boss character who gets his wig wig split you know count me in on that i'll, I'll admit to also being very horny for <laughs> yeah of course i mean who doesn't love that like that classic movie hair you don't see anymore like yeah. that curly brown hair i think ted danson may have contributed to this film bombing he didn't want people to see mary steenburgen his wife he didn't want people to gaze at her in that way <laughs> yeah well i mean he didn't want footage of martin short as a 10 year old enveloping himself in her breasts <laughs> i think that's like that's i mean the hallmark of the two little stinkers monkey bone and clifford it's like i mean being like a horny little rapscallion is definitely a part of being a little stinker oh yeah he, he immediately sets his eyes on Mary Steenburgen, uh, Sarah, in the film. And, uh, yeah, it's such a creepy relationship because she's as much in denial of his, like, trickery with uh, Grodin as she is in denial of him coming on to her in a weird way. <laughs> she's just playing it off as him being sweet little boy uh, because he's so great at riding that line of only Grodin being able to see how insane he is, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so his relationship with Mary Steenburgen is so great. Uh, I, I, I love that. Hello. Hello, Miss Sarah Davis. Ooh, that's a lovely bathrobe you're wearing. I'm sure anyone else who wouldn't look half as lovely. Thank you. What a sweet thing to say. Isn't he everything I said he was? I love you, my Uncle Martin. (laughs) And I you, Clinton. Clinton. He has like a weird, uh, like, milk fetish thing going on. Like, him and his mom early in the movie, like, he's like, he's kind of super evil to his dad, but he's very like a mama's, he's like a mama's boy to his like, whatever mom on Xanax or whatever she's on. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, yeah, he's just super into Mary Steenburgen. (laughs) No, I I like, that's why this movie's also really aggressive too. Cause obviously just the framing of Martin short as a child is like 
pretty aggressive yeah to, to, you know as for uh, no there's a lot of like forced perspective kind of stuff like it's not it's not like that showy i guess yeah but i was like the first time i watched this movie it was actually i think on a vhs rip or something but it was cropped like into four three yeah uh, like a tv broadcast you know i think it was just a tv rip maybe mm-hmm. and so i was like oh this movie is fucking hilarious it's amazing it's not like a well-made movie but the performances are great and then the first time i watched it in proper widescreen i was like oh this is a very carefully directed film to like show martin short as a child and like uh all all those shots of him sitting at the table where you could see his legs even not hitting the ground sometimes and groden imposing over him you know asking him to look at him like a human boy is just ah god i love it yeah i think everything's like super particular in this movie uh yeah i mean i I feel like they maybe it's like the the camera and the framing everything was like very particular but then with the performances they just said go wild and i think that's kind of like you might need that sort of uh uh, whatever structure on one end to let the actor go wild yeah mm-hmm. uh so the the plot as it were ramps up you know after it's just the that basic setup for about an hour you know the meat of the movie mary steenburgen goes with uh, dabney coleman up to san francisco and uh clifford tricks uh uncle martin into thinking that he's going up there too san francisco Open your golden gate You'll let nobody wait Outside your door San Francisco Here is your wandering one Saying I wander no more Other places only make me love you best Tell me you're the one in all the golden Instead, world Instead, the house to himself And he throws a sick house party and there's a great scene of him dancing with a bunch of drunken adults uh just a child in the middle of it all some proto project x vibes for sure exactly project x style party tonight my uncle's house la party you know yeah uh but charles grodin then like uh you know has like a slight falling out with mary steenburgen as he like spies on her you know at dinner with their boss and then uh it it all boils down to uh an uncle and a nephew in a car (laughs) on their way to dinosaur world clifford is in a straight jacket and uh uncle martin has gone fully off the deep end and so he gets him into the the roller coaster that he designed uh larry the scary rex and he turns it up uh double speed or whatever and on a loop and it looks like Clifford is going to die. And there's a great shot of uh, Charles Grodin appearing out of like a black, uh, you know, background with a bunch of fog rising up. And he just kind of looks at Clifford kind of like uh, he could just let him die right now. You know, <laughs> he really wants to, but he doesn't. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to make up with your uncle. <laughs> a lot of impressive detail in that scene where you, I don't know, I wasn't, you know, expecting it even on rewatch, but like, how like it, it shows you every single like beat of like the roller coaster and what yeah. it's trying to do and then like how it almost you know it affects him and uh when he speeds it up and you know it almost kills him by just toppling over and how he has to escape it's just it's so it's so uh it's very intense and dramatic for no reason yeah, which I, is funny i think it might be like the best roller coaster scene i've, I've seen in any movie yeah it's super gripping like you're mostly seeing it through either through clifford's perspective or you know you're seeing clifford's face reacting to it and then 
as he you know pumps it up into overdrive or whatever the the editing gets quicker there's more like the camera zooming in and out like uh, to to make it really make it seem like the ride is accelerating like yeah i, th- I thought that was like really re- i was super impressed the first time i saw that and i mean ultimately i think it like winds up with like that nice conclusion there of what finally snaps clifford out it's like child abuse is the key child abuse and neglect (laughs) (laughs) it's like what breaks clifford of like uh of his little shit dumb is uh charles grown is like you can fucking come with me if you want like i don't give a shit like it doesn't matter like i'm fucking done and just leaves and like obviously i'm joking and saying that all little bastard children should not be abused and neglected i mean i'm saying i'm joking saying they should be abused and neglected Uh. Um, but like, I don't know, (laughs) it like does snap him out of it and like, uh, bring him into, I mean, he then goes to church. He becomes a priest at a boysville. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like a very positive outlook. Like, uh, the, the film is demented all the way through, even with its happy ending, I think. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I, I I love that uh, part where Charles Grodin is telling Clifford, like when I was young, there was a theme park that I didn't get to go to. And then it got you know shut down and i never got to go on it and you know what i grew up just fine and like he's, he's like do, but clifford's like do you ever get over it he's like no you don't <laughs> <laughs> and it is you know just that kind asshole. of fits that kind of fits with jt's message just you know yeah. get, uh, snap out of it clifford I, one of the meanest things he says to clifford uh one of my favorite lines is sorrow is a human emotion <laughs> <laughs> yeah Grodin I mean Grodin is like just as hilarious as Martin Short in this which is yeah. like a tall order just because of like all the built-in stuff that makes Martin Short funny without him even really trying uh Roger any final thoughts on this one before we go around and rate it well yeah quickly talk about Grodin uh, yeah I mean just that like straight manning turning into insanity is so funny I um I didn't realize this till after the second time I watched it. Uh, Tom Sharpling said it was his favorite movie. Uh, you know, Eddie and I are big uh, Best Show fans. Um, and yeah, Tom Sharpling might be the best straight man on radio that I could think of. Uh, and yeah, just Grodin, seeing Grodin do like, just maybe the best straight manning I've ever seen, you know, t- turning into, he goes insane, but like we're on the journey of that arc. So it does, I don't know, it never feels like, out of the question he always feels very grounded to me even when he's going fucking crazy yeah and i feel like we should just say yeah the uh the i want to say mason line from this movie became like a running bit on that show and i think like in the 2000s kind of it's mainly like older episodes but uh pretty good if you can make jokes about that like uh i I don't know where i'm what i'm getting at there but respect we like jokes about movies (laughs) and then uh on on martin short yeah it's like the closest thing i compared this to when i first saw it was a uh, like chris elliott's get a life oh uh, yeah like it's like a you know that's like about a 30 year old paper boy but it's whatever it's a 30 year old acting like he's 10 even if the character is also 30 um and yeah like I, that's kind of like the very detached version of this where it's more like the david letterman you know family of like detached acting and this is just full commitment mm-hmm. and you know i gotta respect and love both uh, but yeah, Martin Short just really crushed in this movie. And on a scale of one to five bullets, what would you rate it? Four and a half bullets. Four and a half bullets. I, you know, to quote a young man who spoke to the hearts of so many other young men in this film, and women alike, and all, and all people. I think all people can all take them. all people can take wisdom from Clifford. Fuck it, let's include all of them. Even though this quote that I'm going to read is gender specific, but. 
I believe Dinosaur World is the only place a boy like me can really be happy. <laughs> and I believe that Clifford is the only movie where a boy like me can really be happy. Uh, I, I just absolutely adore this film. And it's it's a film that's hard for me to talk about because like even when I try taking notes on it, it's it just reduces me to laughing. And, uh, you know, maybe that's genre more than, like, how I look at movies as a whole. It's a comedy that makes me laugh for 90 minutes, you know? And uh, it's it's just one of the greats. I can't do it any higher honor than slapping the five bullets telling you to watch it. What about you, Malcolm? Yeah, I'm going to give this one four bullets. I like it a lot. I mean, I think it has a real unique quality to it that I like. Like a nice anarchic, almost transgressive comedic tone to it, which I, I look for in a lot of other movies. That's like a quality I really enjoy in other movies. But it's 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 really just kind of a, a one of a kind movie. I mean, like I really did laugh a lot more than I had, you know, in much movies recently. And I, I feel like the value of a comedy, because you know, maybe it can be reduced. You know, the way people reduce horror films is like, did that scare me or not? And I think that's pretty reductive when you come to horror, but I think comedy should make you laugh. That is that is something that is like yeah. very valuable in comedic filmmaking that I, I feel like is somewhat overlooked, not by the mainstream populace. They know what's up. They laugh at Anchorman. You know, they're smart. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, I don't know. Just There's not a lot of genuinely hilarious movies, I, I find, and this is one of them. So, JT, what, what do you think? That's uh, a very perfect summation. I'm also tossing four bullets at this. And, uh, yeah, no, Clifford fucking rules. It is a hilarious ride throughout. And I feel like, I mean, pairing this with Monkey Bone is great. And I feel like what, I don't know, recent studio comedies have trended and like comedy in general I feel like in the 2010s to present has trended towards like doing more grounded type of bullshit that just like isn't as funny as like going big and going insane like Clifford just builds and builds and builds upon itself like I I don't know I the first time I saw this I just thought the like him uh calling like having him call in like a fake bomb threat is so fucking funny. But then it ends like, I mean, we totally skipped over uh, Charles Grodin, like nailing boards to the wall, locking like Clifford in the room. It's just like complete child abuse just played like for comedy. And it's so fucking good. It's uh, I don't know. Just one of the funniest comedies. We'll be right back to talk about monkey bone. Hi, this is Martin Daniels. I'm not home right now, but I've got a bomb under City Hall. Talk to you later. Oh, well, no, no, that's, this is a, this is part of my answering machine message. This is a prank. This is a joke. You don't have to believe me. Call my home. Call my home. Here. Speaker's on. Hi, this is Clifford. I can't tell you where my Uncle Martin is right now, but I'll give you a hint. Kaboom! And we're back on Extended Clip. It's Malcolm in the Middle, everyone's favorite segment. Life is unfair. Malcolm, what did you watch this week? <laughs> well, you know, I'm Malcolm from Malcolm in the Middle. Um, I watched a movie called Tommaso. Now, this is a character you're going to be hearing about a lot. You know, what if Tommaso came into my own deli? You know, what if <laughs> Tommaso was at my AA meeting? You know, it is... Tommaso is a, an Abel Ferrara movie that just got recently released on digital cinemas. I waited until there was a nice, you know, download link for it. And it's, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, another great effort by uh, Mr. Ferrara. Uh, this one is very, very, uh, it feels very honest. I know he, uh, his own wife and child are in this movie playing themselves. 
and it, it it's very interesting just to see um ferrara used defoe as kind of like a conduit for a lot of his uh his feelings kind of his past as like a a rampant drug user and how it affects him today how he uh can't really process his own emotions and what the movie's about basically is a uh, tomaso willem defoe is a good father and he's married and he has a, a young wife and he's playing with his kid at the park one day and through the bushes he see his he sees his wife with another man and so he just kind of has to deal with being cucked throughout the movie and um Damn. and you know it's it's uh it's great because it never it's not like it's not like a ultra downer thing or even like a positive thing like oh i could finally you know move on and just you know ignore the people who don't love me it, it the way he processes it is very interesting very real to real life and uh i just i love a lot of the devices for this movie it's a it's like a it's a movie a lot with a lot of oral storytelling in it and like you know especially in the aa meetings and just getting those raw slices of humanity from random people in the meetings is also really effective too and uh I don't know. It's a real mature movie by Farrar. Probably the most mature I've seen, even because something like um, uh, "Welcome to New York" is definitely very mature, but it like it still indulges a little bit in like some mm-hmm. of his certain habits. Where it's this one is pretty, uh, it's pretty straight lace, and uh, you know Defoe is excellent in it as always. Damn, film of the year. Honestly, yeah, because I was looking at my. 2020 list and i've seen like seven 2020 movies yeah oh jt and i were talking about that before you got Mm -hmm. here today yeah it's like other than the spike lee and the john boyce mariners thing there's like eh, come on yeah i kind (laughs) of i want to see the new tesla movie i still haven't seen spike lee's new movie and i want to see that movie spree oh yeah i just downloaded that i saw drake tweeted out the link to that so that's what got me not that's not how i found out about it but (laughs) well i mean it's (laughs) yeah it's built the hype yeah exactly i know james ferraro did the soundtrack for it and that's like an automatic Mm. win for me i'll watch it what about you jt um well two movies i want to i want to talk about dick Philip K. Dick. Mm. Um, the first one led into the second. It was a Scanner Darkly, uh, 2006, Richard Linklater. And uh, then I did uh, Paycheck, uh, 2003, John Woo. Um, Scanner Darkly left the strongest impression on me. I mean, I fell asleep a little bit during Paycheck just because I was so damn sleepy. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. I'm just like... I've read like probably three of Philip K. Dick's books uh, so far and just like the fascination with like the psychedelic and just like paranoia in general, I think in A Scanner Darkly uh, pairs really well with the rotoscoping like animation. I think that has like a really like competent ability to show like uh, the effects of like psychedelic drugs in the way like light shifts uh, in the animation and especially like with how um, uh, Keanu is in the uh, like suits that are like people like just changing the form of like who they are as a person so you can't really tell and I think that I don't know that's something that I feel like I mean now obviously with like CGI like it could be accomplished in a live action film but mm. it works so well with animation and uh, I don't know it's a beautiful rotoscoping project and I like I don't know it reinvigorated my uh, lust to read all of the Philip K. Dick books because um, did you guys I mean I just wanted to talk about Dick here for a little second surprise surprise <laughs> um, but do you know 
that like because Scanner Darkly is like very closely related to his real life because in like seventy two or seventy four after he was like his like wife and like uh, kids left him and so he was left with like a big home like in California and then just like had a bunch of teens come live with him and just like fucking like do drugs Damn. and just hang out and that's who like the movie and like the book A Scanner Darkly are dedicated to and then after like this intense period of like doing amphetamines to like understand that thought process and like thing like it, to influence his writing he like felt like he spoke to God at one point and that forever shaped like the rest of his writing career and there's this big comprehensive volume called the exegesis of Philip K. Dick um, where he's like talking about like this he's like basically the rest of his life until he died and I think in the 80s he's processing like did I talk to God <laughs> like what is actually real and so he's develops I think that like the world has never advanced past the first AD and that Rome is still a thing and that like Richard Nixon at the time was like also like kind of in on it and just like the man completely fucking loses his <laughs> mind but is like documenting it throughout and I'm just so fascinated to explore that like aspect of like his literature and then also to see like the film adaptations of Dick's work are yeah. like some of my favorites. And it's to go back to a scanner darkly uh, Linklater's doing another animated thing right like the moon thing he's doing is like partially animated. That, maybe I'm dead wrong about I that. I haven't heard about it. But that's it, what but I heard. I'm excited. Uh, but yeah, I haven't yeah, heard the, of it. Those two <laughs> Linklater 2000s animated films are gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Scanned Darkly and Waking Life. Yeah, Waking Life, Life is great. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like Philip K. Dick came to the same conclusion as the boys in Project X did, kind of like <laughs> finding meaning through partying and drugs <laughs> and kind of like that kind of being the ultimate form of. Uh, expression of emotions is just to throw the ultimate rager that's kind of that's kind of cool that he figured that out after writing all those books like a nerd for all those years <laughs> uh what about you daddy have you watched anything good this week? i was actually going to throw it to our friend roger oh, because i go yeah. last and it goes into the segment but, okay uh, <laughs> no i'm not like you know i'm sorry I didn't, I didn't mean to like I, you know it's fine we're friends here what about you roger you uh you want you want to talk about anything yeah, I watched a couple movies. Who cares? Who, who gives a shit about these fucking movies? Um, but yeah, I uh, uh, I thought of a, a better... I, I think the two specific things that link these movies that really appeal to me is A, the little stinkers element, and also B, like, not being in control of your own life. I think that's something that's always really made me laugh. Uh, big fan of the web series Pound House, uh, DJ mm. Doug Pound and uh, Brent Weinbach. Shout out. Um, yeah, and... Uh, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that's just like, yeah, when people are just not like one of like just it's just an ultimate, very funny nightmare scenario to just not be in control of your own life, just to completely be at the whim of somebody else. And it's like, you know, I've worked like as a I worked in film as an intern and uh, as a production assistant. And yeah, it's like. And even I, I also worked as a tennis coach with like kids and like in all those scenarios, it was kind of like you're bouncing off of like whatever everybody else is I, yeah it's like you're not really in control of really any of those situations i mean i guess i was in control of the teenagers but uh <laughs> but but still like whatever based on whatever person i'm dealing with yeah and then i don't know with little stinkers i uh 
I was just curious. How, do you guys feel like you were little stinkers? You guys got any like big little stinker memories? Uh, I I think I was a uh, particularly well behaved child. Uh, I don't want to have to call my mother in from the other room to testify. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I remember one time my dad. I was at my dad's house and he has one one of the phones is like a old fashioned, old timey, goofy looking rotary phone, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was like, this doesn't work. I'll call nine one one on it. And I uh, just <laughs> left the phone running and two cops showed up at the house oh. and questioned my dad, like why it was just like a phone running while like my dad and I were just like goofing around, whatever the phone yeah. could hear it, you know? Uh, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, uh, I was punished that day. I had to <laughs> sit in my room and look at the wall for a while. Um, I, I think I was a pretty good kid too, all things considered, but I would do random things that would perplex my parents or just weird impulsive things sometimes like i remember one time like um i just like i just randomly like my dad was drinking a glass of water and i randomly put like just perfume like my mom's perfume into his <laughs> and, he, and he was like why'd you do that i was like i don't know i really don't know i really and then <laughs> bit. uh yeah it was you know just one, another one of my classic bits that everyone loves I- and um, I remember also just randomly getting like a pair of scissors and just cutting the T-shirt I was wearing, just like cutting holes into it, like a arts and crafts project. And uh, I think I also tried cutting my hair a couple times. And that pissed him off. Damn, you were a problem child. Nah, nah, nah. I'm a, I'm a good boy. I'm a good little boy. What about you, JT? Um, I think I also was a good little saint for the most part, but I had a big little stinker aspirations. Like I remember. When I was a little boy, for some reason, I got a hold of, like, in our basement, we had, like, a blue suitcase with, like, a lock on it. Interesting. And so I would, like, I I really like to acquire, like, prank kit stuff, like, classic, (laughs) like, the whoopee cushion, like, fake vomit, Mm. like, all things of that, like, um, and I would just, I put it in like a ceiling tile (laughs) like i locked it with like a big lock and put it in like the ceiling (laughs) so no one would know where the prank stuff was but i never used it i think like the one time i tried to prank my mom i forget what it was she got very angry at me and she's like you could give someone a heart attack and i was like that really put a damper on my pranking spirit (laughs) that sounds like you just liked having a stash yeah no yeah no, uh, that stash turned into something else over the years. I bet, dude. Roger, have, were you a notorious little stinker? I I also think I was good, except I I think I was uh, mean to my mom, who was like the one person in the world that like loved me more than I, you know she like loved me more than anyone <laughs> else did. But it's like, of course, that's the person I'm gonna. Uh, yeah, I remember like if she like took away my she she said I wasn't allowed to watch TV or something. I don't really remember. But yeah, I do remember um, peeing in a water gun and then like dispersing it very like That's... thinly across her bed. So she wouldn't know until she like uh, <laughs> laid in it. Uh, I've never yeah. heard that. Wow. Yeah. So that's something I, I got to live with the rest of my life. <laughs> that's a You know, it's like we all had little cliffers inside of us, and like, and then like, I don't know. I think as you mature, like, they kind of turn into like um, little monkey bones. You yeah. Know well, I, mean? I, I think yeah, the the end of monkey bone, not turn to get ahead of ourselves, I think uh, implies that there's something productive to come out of that little Clifford slash little monkey bone that's all in us. But that's getting ahead of the yeah. issue. But uh, Ro- Roger, when you were talking about comedies about 
uh, not being in control of your life. I think another movie that off air you mentioned uh, watching recently, Inland Empire, kind of relates to that. And yeah. that obviously works in more of a horror mode. Uh, I I think we talked on the pod about how funny it was. It's a very funny movie as long, alongside with being terrifying, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that and like uh, these films all kind of share the same DNA in that regard. Yeah, and then Lynch like was an obvious uh, inspiration for Tim and Eric, and the um, you know oh I mean Lynch was a huge inspiration on Poundhouse. Poundhouse, um, oh, of course, they did the bit from um, Lost Highway uh, where Brent tells Doug um, to like call his house or whatever, and Brent's also there. Yeah, or no, Brent yeah. also he found a lost phone or something like that. I actually watched that before I watched Lost Highway and it blew my mind. And then I watched <laughs> Lost Highway and I was like, oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, one time one of my screenwriting teachers showed us the, that scene from Lost Highway and then immediately told us that the movie itself wasn't good, but he wanted to use that as like a launching point or something like that. <laughs> it's like, oh God, get out of here, screenwriting uh, teacher. Lost Highway might it, be my personal favorite Lynch It's amazing. I just it's, recently rewatched it. it. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's my turn on middle segment, isn't it? Yeah. Come on. We got we got so caught up in Rogers thing. Yeah. It was much better than talking yeah. about a movie. I used to <laughs> I used to lie a lot as a child too. I oh remember. me too. I was a, yeah, I was yeah. a big time compulsive liar. Yeah. Still am. Well, <laughs> you'll never know. <laughs> um, but. I I rewatched a couple of well I rewatched one and watched one for the first time uh, films by Terrence Malick. Uh, Roger knows how much I love Terrence Malick. He had my Thin Red Line Blu-ray for like a year, and I asked for it back. Uh, I, I watched back. the first ten minutes of it, and I'm really sorry that I never got through it. Um, I, it's not that I didn't like the movie; it's just I, my attention span's really bad. No, and, dude, you uh, gave it back to me. That is all that matters here. Can I borrow it again? Yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> you can you can take some stuff off my hard drive. Let's just. All right. <laughs> I'll swing by. But yeah, I I watched the New World for the first time, and for the people who are immediately asking which cut and ready to get mad at me for watching the wrong version of the film, I did watch the I think hundred seventy minute version of the film, uh, which I think is just the longest one. I don't know which one people prefer, but. It is an incredible film. I mean, I've never really doubted Malik, and he kind of came through there. Uh, it is very dedicated to, you know, uh, historical accuracy in a way that's kind of weird for how whimsical it is with its form. I mean, we people always say whimsical about Malik, and here I think that might not even be the right word because it is so entrenched in history and implication, like not even just just. Uh, displaying certain historical events it's more about uh, showing like planting the seeds for uh, the history that would follow for the viewer to fill in the blanks as to what all these actions mean and uh, it's also just a gorgeous film I mean like that era Colin Farrell uh, by some water so you know that in Miami Vice that's a good double feature for you uh, but yeah, uh, New World's an incredible film, but it was upstaged the very next morning by my rewatch of uh, To the Wonder. I When I watched The New World, that was the last Malick that I, I hadn't seen, so I decided to go back to what I thought was his worst film, the only film I'd given lower than like a three stars on Letterboxd, you know, and it blew me away. Now it's one of my favorites. I, I took the Affleck pill. Uh, ben Affleck, as Nick Pinkerton said on Twitter, was a uh, a great structural absence in this film. You know, his performance is so, uh, you know, he, Malik is just catching such 
odd glimpses of his performance. You know, the the editing of Malick's style uh, really plays into a performer like Affleck more than anyone because people love Affleck now because of his kind of like bozo charm and how like far he's come, you know, at this point in his life. Uh, and I feel like it's those small moments of grace that you see in an Affleck performance in a shitty movie that you're like, oh man, that guy is pretty fucking sick. Like, uh, or even just a gesture that he does in a dumbass paparazzi photo, you know? <laughs> and this film is filled with all of those Ben Affleck grace moments. Uh, it's a, it's a gorgeous film. It has so much like, uh, going on in terms of building this, uh, contemporary environment in, I think, Texas, uh, in a way that's like unlike other, you know, contemporary Malik's, I think. Uh, and it's just so romantic and all of the voiceover is just, uh, swooning. Uh, it's just beautiful. And the ending is like next level and it's, yeah, I, I would say Knight of Cups is my favorite Malik, but this comes in number two with the bullet. Do people like pictures of Ben Affleck being sad because they're sad themselves? I was going to say, I was projecting a little bit yeah, of it myself. Uh, not even the sadness, just like him being cool. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie's no, but going through like the Jack in the Box <laughs> drive through and shit, I'm like, that's me, man. Oh, yeah. Well, that one, that one's me. That's too. a classic. That's, yeah, that one's... Yeah. That's the only Affleck paparazzi photo that I would say that's me too, is the, the Jack in the Box. <laughs> classic. Classic me too moment. We'll be right back. <laughs> Wake up, everybody! It's time for Monkey Bone Live! <laughs> time for a little singing, a little dancing, and of course some good-natured bashing of my very own creator, Mr. Stupid Mopey! Hey, guys! <laughs> and we're back on extended clip to talk about Monkey Bone, uh, the 2001 film by Henry Selleck. Uh, this film from the get go, you know, it's about the art life, the artist struggle. You know, you see Brendan Fraser sketching as the opening titles play, and you know, you see his uh, his creation at a premiere. All these corporate suits are judging his hyper personal art, his cartoon of a monkey personifying his young erection in a big mouth style why a <laughs> horny cartoon uh R roger why 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 this film what, what what is it about monkey bone that drives you up the walls i mean yeah like i like i said i watched it as a kid and it, it i'd forgotten about it completely and it, it, fe it does feel like a fever dream to me mm -hmm. um even now uh yeah i feel like there's like a lot of different i just honestly i just picked this and wanted to come on to your podcast as an excuse to rewatch monkey bone not that i needed one yeah no um, never an excuse to partake in some classic cinema and um i mean it's kind of you know fast like how many different visual styles there are in this movie mm -hmm. i think um, it like definitely uh there, there are reviews that called it like burton like and i think that's definitely accurate and i think yeah. it's also just borrowing from like cartoon style uh visual approaches you know like when brendan fraser after his big anxious hollywood night out gets into a car accident and falls into a coma uh he goes into the the nightmare world within his coma where he meets his creation monkey bone but as he's falling into that coma the the visualization of it where he's just sinking through the hospital bed and then it looks kind of realistic like it's a cg effect or something and then it becomes more of just a cartoon white background with his bed falling through it you know and right away you just know like oh this film
film's going to be fucking all over the place visually. And I was definitely a fan of that. Yeah, that shot is cool. Yeah, I mean, I like, I don't know, right away, like, so much of this picture was working for me. I don't like, I mean, I can understand why it would bomb at the box office, but I don't understand this hard. Like, it's really funny. Yeah. It's very fun. It, like, hops around all over the place. Like, I understand, like, a lot of people, I feel like, are really critical of the early CG look, and especially when it, like, intermingles with live action. But, like... I don't know the Brendan Fraser initially having like a crumb style look to him <laughs> as like this like isolated loner artist edgy cartoonist who doesn't want to sell out like is fun and then just like going into the mind of an artist like that was always like a really fun like exploration there's like uh, the moment I knew I loved the movie was like there's um when they're in that uh like world where uh Giancarlo Esposito is like the little uh devil goat man mm-hmm. um they're one of the singer is doing a cover of Roxy Music's Love is the Drug <laughs> and it's so fucking good uh yeah i mean you guys are talking about like how many different like styles this movie adapts to i mean there's there's just so many things going on in this movie i mean it's it's almost i mean maybe it is incoherent i mean i i still like it you know for its ambition it's so because it is a very ambitious movie you know all the things that take place from like this kind of like nightmare world that represents like kind of like the negative side of his artistic ambition yeah. the mind palace yeah his yeah artistry yeah his his dark twisted beautiful fantasy yeah. and then to the point where monkey bone inhabits his body and then little, little, like Twin Peaks, the return bodies in different uh, spirits in different bodies and whatnot. Yeah. And then like um, it's like there's like nightmare juice and then like Chris Kattan gets involved and there's like chasing doctors. And it's like it, all this is just hilarious and like completely madcap to me. But it's like it is very hard to process. Like yeah. it is. This is one of the movies I feel like I've had a hard time giving a rating because it is. It is. Yeah, just, me too. It is kind of yeah. just like a. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot going on. It's a I, lot to take in. I gave it a rating when I watched it on uh, when I put it on Letterbox, whatever, and I was just like, "That's just arbitrary." I don't fucking know what I think of this movie yet. Yeah. Uh, I, I like how it's constantly elevating itself to the point where, when uh, you know, you get this crazy, you know, body swapping uh portion of the plot. You also have Bob Odenkirk leading this team of surgeons <laughs> trying to steal back <laughs> Brendan Fraser's organs in the body of an Olympic gymnast. Uh, and Bob Odenkirk like hanging out the side of a suburban, like fucking yelling at him, <laughs> is just one of my favorite images. I, I love it. Yeah, I don't know if we could skip it. You know, if it's fair game to skip ahead to the end, but I think maybe one of the funniest jokes in any movie ever is the whole time they're chasing this dead body and they're very indifferent to it being a, an alive dead body. They're just running after it for the organs. <laughs> but then when the other dead body arises, they're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they get so scared and run away. That's, I think one of the funniest jokes I've ever seen. Yeah. I, oh God, it's so good. I mean, we could kind of just speed through the plot because I feel like any, t- any discussion of the film comes completely out of order. Uh, yeah. But so Brendan Fraser, he, he has this cartoon that's go- on the comedy network. Uh, I love when they do like stand-ins for real things. <laughs> like uh, what was that stupid improv? movie uh and then they were like oh one of us is gonna audition for weekend live don't look twice or yeah, something? yeah 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 i won't look at all 
Well, I saw it once, so I won't look twice. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, uh, <laughs> uh, the deal's on the table. He's worried about marketing and selling out and all the, the merchandising that's going to happen. He doesn't want to get, you know, Star Wars-ified or whatever he wants his indie spirit. He goes into his mind's version of hell, and there's, you know, crazy cartoons and sexy ladies and uh, horny monkeys, and Monkey Bone comes to life, and he's hanging out with him, and he's voiced by John Turturro, and I feel like that kind of, uh, you know, the uh, in Save the Cat terms, the the fun and games, promise of the premise uh, segment of the film is definitely one of the stronger points where it's just Frasier, uh, Brennan Frasier, that is, I don't want to say Frasier as in Toss Salad and Scrambled Eggs, but <laughs> Brennan Frasier with John Turturro as the animated monkey bone roaming around this crazy town of his mind is uh, I, I loved it yeah well I mean also I mean like there it's just like I love a comedy movie that like just is willing to like just fucking like breeze through the plot and skip to like okay this is a dude uh, like a different like funny set piece we can milk some shit out of yeah and like the segment where it's the monkey bone character inhabiting Brendan Fraser's body <laughs> rules so hard for me. Yeah. Because Fraser is so committed in chimp mode. Just like he like it's I like I was talking to uh, Malcolm and Roger, I think, while you're still figuring out some stuff um, about how <laughs> that like <laughs> he just he I get the the Fraser charm now yeah. because he's just like. He he's so fucking funny. He like can just inhabit that monkey characteristic so well, just hopping from place to place. Especially the uh, scene where he's like gonna fuck like monkey bone, and he's so excited because now he's finally endowed with a dick. Yeah, yeah. and is just like swinging around the bed. It's a phenomenal dancing the foxy foxy lady by yeah, Jimi Hendrix experience. Yeah, <laughs> and that is Tony Um, I, if I could speak candidly, Brent Fraser is—he's hot there. I was gonna he's say, yeah, straight out hot as hell in that uh, as Monkey Bone doing that little striptease. It's—it's it's a hot character too. Even like the art artist guy. Like I was like, this is like Fraser's peak sexual appeal, right? And I didn't even really notice. And maybe, you know, us being, you know, sh- straight guys, <laughs> we <laughs> might not notice the little things. question mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I do. I agree to that. I especially think like when he goes like, I always love a sleazy character fit. And when Monkey Bone takes on uh, Stu's persona and like decks him out with the chops with like a little like soul patch like yeah. flair and just gives him like the exaggerated like uh button downs it's so yeah. fucking good no, that, that subscribes to like my ideology that when anyone's like changing their hair like a drastic amount they're they're turning evil a little bit you know what i mean like when someone dyes their hair blonde that's the evil version of them uh so basically through some convolution of the rules in this dream world and uh whoopi goldberg as death um uh, 
Brendan Fraser tries to get back into the real world. Uh, he doesn't get to, but Monkey Bone does. Uh, Monkey Bone inhabits Brendan Fraser's real body and goes Hollywood. He he <laughs> totally throws out the window everything that Fraser was anxious about and just sells out completely. And there's some really funny stuff. There's some pretty good uh, like corporate media satire embe- embezzled in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, the the woman that Brendan Fraser loves. Uh, is, is seems a little suspicious, you know, and uh, obviously that love affair is going to be tested as Brendan Fraser is now a monkey, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's about a man trying to get back in his own body. Yeah, you know, that's I mean, that's what's also admirable about the Fraser character before he goes chimp. You're just a man who loves his girlfriend. You know what I mean? And that's that's not respected enough nowadays. In that house, too, they have all these like classic Hollywood movie posters, yeah. including Otto Preminger's Laura, uh, <laughs> which is great. Um, but I was going to before, but when he's just in the coma and like his girlfriend is like just saying nice things to him, that's like my ideal type of relationship. Just like I'm in a coma <laughs> the whole time and people are just, they wish I was there. <laughs> Can I ask, are you, like, afraid of, like, fucking up your relationship? Not now. I'm psychoanalyzing you. Like, are uh, you, like, do you, do you want to be in a coma so that, like, you can't fuck it up or what? Because it's, like, because really, like, he could do no wrong. Even when he's monkey bone, she's still, like, oh, he was just in a coma. He can't, you know. True. It probably has something to do with that. I didn't really think about it, but that's probably right. <laughs> that's probably it. Finally, Roger, someone to take Malcolm to task on all the crazy shit he says on I, I'm always honest. I'm just too honest. <laughs> I'm glad someone finally engaged with my honesty instead of just laughing at it. You know, that, that's what I appreciate. Uh, the the corporate version of Brandon Fraser's character then is going to some big uh, corporate sponsored event at the Natural History Museum, mm-hmm. uh, which is very strange. But I guess maybe that's a sly commentary on uh, public arts being owned by <laughs> private fat cats. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, but anyway, he does a musical number there with a classic, you know, late 90s, early 2000s performer headset uh, instead of singing into the mic, which I love to see on his boy band uh, slash Britney Spears type shit. Uh, what, what, what's oh, up? he's singing Brick House, Brick House. to yeah, his yeah, girlfriend. Yeah. That fucking rules. Uh, th- this third act culminates with uh, one body chasing another. You know, Frasier in the Olympic uh, athlete's body chasing monkey bone in Brendan Fraser's body. And uh, there's a parade float that they jump onto and float through the air. It's a full on, you know, comedy style action set piece. And it kind of that's a that's almost what reminded me of Tim Burton more than the set design was like uh, the approach to, I guess, an action set piece was very much like a, a comedy filmmaker doing it, which also was like, oh, I guess this is kind of how Tim Burton shoots action too. just thinking back mm-hmm. to the Batman movie we talked about on the pod a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's like a fun ending, you know, as Roger said earlier, uh, when he awakens in his own body and he's set free by this underworld by Whoopi, uh, everyone's shocked that the supposedly dead man is now alive, but he proves that he's truly Brendan Fraser (laughs) by shaving the goatee or shaving the soul patch rather. And, uh, uh, calling his girlfriend by like a nickname or something i guess so. yeah. yeah oh my god the like when Whoopi lets him go back to his own body at the end it the line where she's like i'll just take the south park guys instead really like that that i i admired that it's like th- this movie goes so many places um that i just i don't know it's consistently funny throughout yeah. and i feel like 
it's hard to cohere into something specific, like in terms of like the elements of like corporate satire, because it doesn't like hang on those for all too long. But like each piece is so fun and gets it just a little bit. It really works for me. And there's also a subplot of them trying to fill the uh, monkey bone merch with like poison nightmare fuel, which is kind of reminiscent of like Halloween three season of the witch where it's like a uh, mind control through like TV commercials for like a mask that kids are going to buy or something like that. Yeah, It's been a while since I've seen that movie <laughs> as you <No>. can see. <laughs> I think what's really impressive about this movie to me is just the insane amount of detail that goes into every single aspect of this movie where it's like, uh, you know, character design. There's a lot of like weird, uh, cool looking characters down in, you know, Nightmare World or uh, downtown or whatever to like, yeah, song choices where you're singing like Brick House yeah. for her to like, just like even like the way things are shot. Like I think of the corporate uh, satire aspect of the movie where, you know, chip mode Frasier is meeting up with uh, some executives about a toy and like the way it's shot is like to make it feel very like kind of like a kind of austere and like very clean, very corporate. And then how it just kind of ends with them like, uh, you know, them going chip mode themselves, the businessmen rubbing butts with Brendan Fraser, not seen on screen, but implied it just, uh, it's just, it shows that like, um, the, like the, where this movie goes that you can't, it doesn't really have like a map or any like logic to it. It's just really going like scene by scene and just really executing each idea it has to its like fullest capacity. And it might not all like pace together, but it, I really, I don't know. I, I was just, I was looking at this movie and I was saluting the screen. I was showing it respect. <laughs> I, I maybe didn't find it as funny throughout, but I yeah. think there are like, it's more of just like every 10 or 15 minutes, there's a really good bit, maybe, you know? Uh, like, I I wasn't as enthralled with uh, Brent Fraser going chimp mode at first. It wins me over as it goes, especially when he's clashing with himself in another body. I think that definitely works really strongly. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think this is a funny movie that is, like, constantly, you know... Uh, showing you new things that you didn't expect, you know, like when it goes into black and white in downtown and it feels like the, the scenes with the fireman character in Twin Peaks, the return, you know, those black and white scenes. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's a, it's a real fun movie. People should have liked it. Monkey bone. Good. Three bullets for me. <laughs> I'm going to go three and a half bullets. Um, this is something I want to rewatch. This is something that I feel like would get you know, better. Uh, three and a half bullets for me. All right, I sh- shows how much influence I have over Eddie. <laughs> I'm editing that part out too. I realized right away. I was like, you know what? I, how did I talk about it for this much and like not up my score from Letterbox? I I like it more than I did ten hours ago. All right, three and a half. That's fair enough. Not because Malcolm said it though. Well, I don't I don't know what the editing process is, so I'm gonna just restate it again. Three and a half bullets from me. Um, I uh, fuck. Lost my train of thought. No. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. It's all good. No, th- there's just a lot of things in this movie that are to admire, uh, like in their own self, that, like not even in how they interact with the movie. I mean, just like uh, the the very specificness of like Cat Girl, Rose McGowan, or even like just the body horror in like the nightmare sequences where like Brendan Fraser is like a bug that's about to be mutilated or something like that. It is like the the places it goes and like the dedication it has with each place it goes is just uh really admirable to me and i was just surprised to you know where this went because it is like it does have like a children's movie 
feel to it, but it, then like it ends with like Dave Foley telling the audience to take off their clothes. It, it really is. It, it almost feels like at conflict with itself at times, but I feel like that's what's entertaining about it. Yeah, the the call to action to unleash your inner monkey bone for everyone to take off your clothes. It felt like the end of school days. The wake up. Yeah, you know, call to action. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Show us your tits. <laughs> Go ahead, JT. <laughs> um, I just like show us our tits. Um, I'm gonna give it uh four bullets. I uh, really loved it. I like wasn't anticipating to be as on board with it as I was, but something uh, I, I don't know, Malcolm, you were saying about Clifford with just like the anarchy of it. I feel like that really rings true for Monkey Bone as well, and just like the structure and just going like I don't know, pretty much wherever it wants to, so swiftly and quickly. Um, I I don't know. Um, I think it does like probe into something like a little bit more interesting with like how it deals like with an artist's sense of creativity and like what they're like tapping into that I think like is a little bit surface level, but I feel like with how crazy and winding the structure is, I think it gets at a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, I just had a really fun time watching Brendan Fraser go chimp mode. Uh, what about you, Roger? Before I, I do my rating, I, you know, it's like, I want to talk about a little bit like, a about the, the tenderness of the movie, uh, it's laughs and it's dreams. Uh, uh, like the, the relationship with his, uh, fiance girlfriend, um, is really sweet. Like the idea of like how he's going to propose, like maybe it's a little bit self-centered in that it's like, you know, he's doing, uh, he's got his own cartoon character helping him propose. But at the same time, she's the person that helped him discover the character. I, I found that like, Maybe one of the weirdly most touching uh, proposal scenes I've seen in a movie, even if it didn't really happen, the, the proposal didn't follow through. Uh, and then when he wakes her up from the dream, and then in the end, as Chris Kattan is like, do you remember I woke you up from your dream? That part weirdly got me, and I almost cried. Uh, wow. I, I was like, there, there's some, I don't know, it's something about like... Um, there's something about monkey bone. <laughs> no, there's, there's, there is something about monkey bone, honestly. It, like, hit, I think it hits you on like a subconscious level. And I think what we're dancing around with like saying it's kind of all over the place and stuff, it is very like dreamlike. Like when I said this felt like a fever dream, um, you know, I had as a kid or whatever, like it re like talking about this really does. There's so many places it goes. It really does feel like a dream and not like in like the, you know, maybe not in like, the David Lynch sort of way or, 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 or whatever. Although it does like touch on that. I don't know. Also the, the Chris Kattan chase scene is so funny. The fact that he's a gymnast, uh, Chris Kattan <laughs> is really, really funny in it. Like we barely talked about his performance. I, uh, I was going to say three and a half, but after this conversation, man, I'm saying four bullets. Yeah. yeah. Kattan really is funny. And like, that's another example of like the specificity of just like when he's getting, you know, chased around town, that like one sequence where they, line it up like he's doing an Olympic race. Just like a really random moment of just funniness that just works. Um, yeah, it's got everything. It's got it all. Monkey bone. <laughs> Bone-pilled. Uh, getting boned. Um, we do not have any emails this week, but you can always reach out to us at extendedclippodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also... Check us out on patreon.com slash extendedclip. I mentioned it earlier this week. 
We talked about radio days. Nope. We talked about <laughs> we talked about talk radio by Oliver Stone, and then we decided to run a little talk radio ourselves. We opened up the lines and we answered your questions. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We actually got people to call in, unlike the first time we tried this a year ago. <laughs> we came up. At least people will talk to us now. Yeah, and hey, some returning champions from the podcast too. You might uh, you might hear them. You know, you're gonna have to pay to find out. You're gonna have to pay to find out. It's two dollars a month for bonus episodes. Six dollars a month, and you get the extended clip PDF club. Uh, people are saying, you know, people are giving rave reviews about True. the PDF club. One that I have here is, uh, I'm not going to uh, put the person's name, but the comment was changed pledge from $6 to $2. <laughs> I guess they didn't like my little piece about, uh, Fred Durst's directorial works. And you know, that's, I'm going to keep doing it my way. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> love can turn to hate real quick sometimes. <laughs> There's a thin line between love and hate. I really want to shorten this episode up. Roger, where can the people find you? Do you have anything you want to plug? No. You can find me on Twitter, though, uh, at Roger Carno. It's spelled Roger Car now. <laughs> thanks. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on, dude. Thanks for having me. This is super fun. This was super it fun. It was fun. We wow. are at Twitter, too. <laughs> That's Extended sick. Clip 69. I'm at Bitch Face Palace, spelled like Bitch Face palace <laughs> i met tall boy thin legs and i'm gonna be on twitter a little less <laughs> these days <laughs> we stand by everything we said but we're in the discord join the discord if you're not you could find a link somewhere it's not just for patrons like patrons get the link but it's not just for any, anyone can hang out in the scored true it's it's popping off too dude. it is dude the scored is like the new forum exactly it's uh, a new paradise anyway see you on the scored oh uh no see you next week Malcolm, do you have a double feature picked out? No, because the schedule's, I don't know, the schedule's confused. Me. <laughs> it's okay. I it's we okay. Starting the... Might as well, you know what? Let's just tease it. So, we are recording two episodes next week. Uh, next week's episode, T-B-D. Yeah. <laughs> I almost said it backwards. Uh, the week after that, though, and next week we will begin recording our new series, Brooks Brothers. We know they're not brothers. The film's of Albert Brooks and James L. Brooks. We've talked about How Do You Know and Spanglish on the pod. Now it's time to watch the other James L. Brooks movies uh, and four of Albert Brooks's movies, two of the great comedic filmmakers. The Tentative Order, Terms of Endearment slash Mother, and then Broadcast News with Real Life, and that episode is going to have friend of the pod Sean Glynis on it. Uh, and then Modern Romance and James L. Brooks's film Maudit, I'll Do Anything. And we're going to be checking out both the rough director's cut of the musical version of that and the theatrical cut. Maybe not all of us watching both. I was we'll like, see. we are. Aren't, aren't uh, we? <laughs> and we're finishing up with Jack, as good as it gets with looking for comedy in the Muslim world. So uh, we'll see you next month. Well, we'll also see you next week, yeah. but uh, I'm excited about next month. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. I love these guys. <laughs> Stunt Clip is great. No, I was talking about the Brooks <laughs> filmmakers. Wow, I love Extended Clip. What uh, a great oh, podcast. since it's James L. Brooks, also we should talk about The Simpsons for better and for worse. Because he is very involved in The Simpsons right now, making their political cartoons. Oh, no, he tweets dude. about them before they happen, so you know he's involved. Can we not do this series anymore? Yeah. <laughs> Look, you got to take with the good with the bad. We've supported the oh, filmmakers. Albert Brooks is in The Simpsons, too, pretty heavily. That's right. He plays like eight different characters, right? That's right. At least. <laughs> Bye.
Wow, my boss. Don't call me that word. I don't like things that elevate me above the other people. I'm just like you. Oh, sure, I come later in the day, I get paid a lot more, and I take longer vacations, but I don't like the word boss. 